we have reached the penultimate Sunday in our sermon series, the next to the last, the next to the ultimate. Uh, next Sunday, we will finish our The Good and Beautiful God sermon series. Uh, the congregation, if you're uh, new to the, uh, this morning, the congregation has been uh, combining our Sunday morning messages along with a book by James Bryan Smith called The Good and Beautiful God. And it may be that if you are new to the journey there, that there are questions you, about, you have about who God is and about His character and how He works in this world. Maybe there's been some narratives that you've received uh, in your lifetime that, that bother you about God. We encourage you, uh, on our website, uh, uh, we've posted all of our sermons. Go to our media page, and you'll have access to all of them. Uh, and if you want to make use of the book as well, that it's available on Amazon.com. And, and if you um, uh, have problems finding it at all, just let us know. We'd be glad to make sure you can find a copy uh, this morning, we're going to be taking a look at a verse out of Romans chapter 8. And before we get to our verse, let me just set up a little bit about what takes place in chapter 8 of this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. By the way, what a letter. The book of Romans is just outstanding. You get to chapter 8, and it begins with words like this, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Wow. What, what, a, what a beginning of a chapter. And it goes on to, uh, to explain how that we're no longer, because of what Jesus did on the cross, that we're no longer under the law, but that we've been freed up. We're no longer constrained by the compulsions of, of the flesh, of, our, uh, of, of wanting to go about our way and, instead of um, going about God's way. That we're no longer constrained. That we have the very Spirit of God dwelling in us. About halfway through the chapter, it explains that as true as that is, it doesn't mean that we are without hardship. That in this world, in fact, that all of creation is groaning for the day. Groaning for the day when Jesus will return and make all things new. And as we progress through the chapter, we come to the verses that we have before us, and they serve as a kind of a capstone. We might call it a penultimate capstone. The next to the, to the cap capstone. Uh, because the chapter ends with this affirmation of God's love that nothing uh, can remove us from God's love. Nothing can overcome God's love for us. So just before that great statement is made, we have these three verses. And so if you have your Bible with you, we'll go ahead and open them. We'll read our text um, together this morning. This is Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. Hear the word of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the gift of these words, for the gift of this chapter, for the gift of the book of Romans, for the gift of your word. We trust even now as we gather around these words in this text that you will be here with us and that you will work in our hearts and our minds and wherever there is a hardness, 
God, wherever there is too much distraction, wherever there is a tiredness, would you overcome these things and allow the truth that you convey, the truth that you teach, to find its way deep inside of us, so deep that it defines who we are. We give you praise. Thanks for Jesus. In his name, amen. So there is this, or was this, television, sh- television show called This Is Your Life. It started out as a radio program. This is before my time, so this would be more in the time of my parents and my grandparents. But from, I think, 1948 through 1951 or somewhere in there that, that it was a radio program, and then in 1952 it became a television program, and, and people would gather around their television sets to watch this each week, and and they would, the premise of it is that um, the host would uh, bring somebody by surprise out of the audience, bring them up on the stage, and they would reveal their life to them in front of the whole nation. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. How would you like it right now if I were to invite you up and it was your name and we place you right here and we start bringing friends from high school and they'd tell us stories about you and and um, so, I, knowing I was going to use this as an illustration this morning, I went on YouTube and they actually had an episode, one with Dinosaur. If you don't know the name Dinosaur, you can ask my parents or my grandparents because I'm sure that they know the name Dinosaur. She was a singer and an actress and a TV personality. And so they brought her up on the stage and, they, and uh, she thought she was there to introduce who they were going to surprise. <laughs> and they surprised her. I think she felt like how most of us would feel. She started crying. <laughs> like, really, it's not me. This morning, instead of it being exactly, <laughs> thank you, instead of it being this is your life, what I want us to talk about is this is your transformation. Because there's a story that has been going on about you longer than you've been alive. And if you're a follower of Christ, or you're going to be a follower of Christ, we could invite you up and sit you right here in front of everybody, and we could share these words about your story, and it would be accurate. Accurate at at the defining level of accurate. What we get to hear and what we get to see in these verses is your transformational story your story of transformation. Now, like all good shows, there's a sponsor. (laughs) And by the way, This Is Your Life had a sponsor. The one I saw had Hazel Bishop No Smear Lipstick. I'm going to guess that having lipstick that doesn't smear is a good thing. Thanks for Hazel Bishop. This morning, today, for us, uh, This Is Your Transformation has a sponsor as well. And it'll come as probably no shock or surprise, it's God. God is your sponsor. In fact, we find this out in uh, the first of the three verses that we read. We find this out in uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. The words, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. It's good to have a sponsor. 
Now, we might be used in our world to be able to watch for that little sign in the bottom right corner that says skip ads, and we want to click right beyond it. Or maybe we're so used to using a DVR that every time the ads come up, we just fast forward to the show. We don't want to miss this sponsor. John Stott, in his commentary on the book of Romans, he describes in a very clear way the five affirmations that we have as God being our sponsor in this transformation process. Here are the five things. First, God works. God works. It's God who is the one who is working. You know, in the text it says, all things work together for the good. And there is no subject right there. We don't have the word God right in front of it. And so some have come to the conclusion, well, that's just how things work in this world. Yeah, all things work out. Just hang in there. Things work. But that's to miss some of the grammatical things that are taking place here. And that's to go against everything else that Paul had said in the book of Romans. God is the primary actor here. In Stott's commentary, he picks up on, um, I think it's something that Andrew Murray had said, but he, he describes that it's not that God wills all things. It's not that God wills all things, but God works all things. God is at work in our lives. God works. The second thing we find out is that God works for the good. God works for the good. We talked about it a few weeks back that God isn't just kind of a kind of good, one option of God. God is pure goodness. He is purely good. Whatever is pure good, that is what God, God is pure good. And so when God works, we can trust that God will work good things. It's who God is. It's what he does. The third thing we find out is that God works for our good in all things. In fact, if you look at the context of chapter 8, we had just had experience in the words prior to our text that, like I had said before, that the world's groaning, that there's tough times. Just because we're followers of God does not mean that we aren't going to be subject to poor decisions that we make ourselves, that others make, that there are trials and tribulations in this world. There are struggles. But we can trust that the good God, the God who works, the God who works good things, will work all things together for good. The fourth thing we find out is that God works in all things for the good of those who love him. It is the command of both the Old and the New Testaments. It's what we're to do as God's children is that we love God. That's the command, the defining command for all of God's children. And then we have these words in 1 John. It's not that, that we love God, but that he first loved us. So to love God is simply to respond to God's love with love of our own. God moves first. God loves first. God moves first. His transformation happens in our lives, and we can respond because of what God has done we can respond to his love with love of our own. God works in all things for the good of those who love him. And the fifth thing we learn is that those who love him are the same as those who have been called according to his purpose. Those who love him are the same as those who are called according to his purpose. We're going to talk about calling in just a, mo a moment, but it's so good to be able to emphasize here that it's according to his purpose. God calls not according to our agenda, he doesn't call and, and, and have us come to faith so that we can live out whatever life we want to live. But God is calling us according to his purposes. 
His purpose of salvation, His purpose of of making us new. There is a good God who works for the good of His people in all things. For the good of those who love Him. And those who love Him are the ones who are called according to His purpose. This is your life. Being eternally sponsored by God. And so, with knowing our sponsor and how this sponsor works, let's turn attention to this is your transformation. We can talk in terms of at least three ways of seeing this. One is it has beginnings, it has continuings, and it has consummation. So let's look at those three aspects, beginnings. We find it in the words, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. This transforming God of ours, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. This is deeping, this is dipping back into the ancient, ancient, ancient of times. In fact, in Ephesians 1-4, we're told that this happens before the foundation of the world. Your transformation, the story of your transformation, if we were to bring back some voice from the past, it would have to be God's own voice because it begins before time began, before the foundations of the world. And we we find out is this word foreknowledge, that God foreknew for those whom he foreknew. Foreknowledge of God is an interesting deal. This is not like Biff Tannen. Biff Tannen is that character in Back to the Future. Uh, um, and in Back to the Future Part 2, Biff Tannen, the future Biff Tannen, takes an almanac, a sports almanac from 1955 through 2000, and he goes back in time to the younger Biff Tannen and gives him that information. And so that the younger Biff Tannen can go ahead and make decisions and become rich and mean and all this kind of stuff. It's not just information-based. That's using information. It's not like God has, gosh, I know what's going to happen, and now I'm going to make decisions based on what I know is going to happen. That's not the Hebrew understanding of this idea of foreknowledge. Uh, Among the commentators, I read various translations of it that it would be for-loving, for-committing, for-setting apart. In fact, we have something like this in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. So let's go back into the Old Testament. Let's look at Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. It's here the call of Jeremiah that God is talking to Jeremiah. He says it this way. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. In the way of Hebrew parallelism, we can find that the, to know is, is related to consecrate. That there's something that God, he's saying, listen, before you even came into this world, I was already active on your behalf. I knew you. I consecrated you. I set you apart. And the foreknowledge of God is founded in God's love. That the foreknowledge of God is founded in God's acting on our behalf. The, the commitment to consecrate us. It's not just for the people like Jeremiah and the Apostle Paul and, and other individuals. It's for all of God's children. God's children is to know, to be a, God, a child of God is to have already been known by God. Not just information, but love and commitment. 
hard to come up with an illustration for these type of things. Because it just isn't anything else like God. So this, you'll have to work with me a little bit on this, this illustration. There's a little story told about Benjamin Franklin. Maybe it's a story you've heard before. So when Benjamin Franklin uh, died, he had set up in his will that he set aside uh, 2,000 uh, pounds sterling. That it would be divided between the cities of Boston and uh, Philadelphia. But he put a stipulation on it. He goes, some of the money, you couldn't have access to it for, uh, for 100 years. And the rest of it, you couldn't have access for it to 200 years. Well, uh, Franklin, he died on April 17th, 1790. So when uh, 1990 came around, when April 17th, 1990 came around, there was actually six and a half million dollars in the account. And so we, we can see that it wasn't just some kind of information that, that Franklin had about a future time, but there was this commitment going on, a, a commitment that was to be for both Boston and Philadelphia. God has this commitment to you, to you. As you have experienced good news of Jesus Christ and have responded in faith that, that God has this commitment from way before time, from the foundations of the world, he has set you apart. God didn't just guess. He didn't just know information. He set you aside. And then he predestined you. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined uh, in um, when N.T. Wright explains this, he talks in terms of that it, to be predestined, it's um, to be foreordained. Uh, John Stott talks about it as God decided for you on your behalf. But we need to know that this is not a mechanical decision. It's not like God just flipped a switch and then you like some kind of automatic robot just, I'm going to do what God says. You see, the way that God had to work, for us to have any hope that God had to be the one that would set things right. God had to be the one that would move. There is something so structurally wrong with us, so broken, that we have inherited through uh, um, the, the created order, that when that first couple went against God's uh, uh, law for them, that we all shared that there was that something that was handed down among hum humanity that, that we... Uh, have in our lives, that we call it total depravity, that, that there's nothing in us that will approach God, but, but God approaches us, that God moves first, that God predestines, foreordains. God must choose. God must elect, for we lack that ability. Again, it, I struggle for illustrations. Because we're talking on the, on the order of God, it's hard to come up with illustrations, so again, please work with me on this. Over the course of being a pastor, I've come across a number of couples that have struggled to have children. If they could, they would choose to have a child. They yearn to have a child. If they could, if they could, they would choose to have it, but something is, is keeping them from being able to do it. And in some of the stories, there is another person who has a child. And because of the, the choices of this other person, 
who, who comes to the conclusion that this child would be better served, better cared for, ha- have a different kind of life if there was a family that could raise it. And so this other person brings the child before that couple, and that couple now can make the choice that they've wanted to make, but they couldn't make, and now they can make it because the child, it's not like they sit back and go, I don't know. <laughs> yes! And so it was that even if we wanted to, we couldn't make the choice. But because God moves and presents us and takes care of the, the, the sin that traps us, now we can respond and we will respond, yes. We're predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Wright points this out is that we're pre-shaped. That the whole story is that we would become like Jesus. That God has this vision of who Jesus is. That, that we would become like Jesus. Pre-ordained. Pre-set apart. To become like Jesus. What Jesus is, we shall be. Apart from his divinity, his di- di- divinity we will become like him. And that's just the beginning. That's just the beginnings of our transformation that God foreknew us, that God predestined us. So let's get on to the continuings. The text tells us, and those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. What is it to be called? To be called by God. Theologians talk about this in terms of effectual calling. Effectual calling. That God doesn't just go... That God calls. He makes it happen. He moves. That this talks about our effectual calling. It's about our conversion. And so in our conversion, we have faith. And and the theologians will talk about this in terms of our regeneration. You've read it before. You've seen it in the Bible. That we go from death to life. We were spiritually dead. We made spiritually alive. This is what God does in our calling that he calls us, he converts us, he moves us from death to life. Everything old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And he does this according to his purpose. He saves us not just for our purposes. He saves us not just to make our life easier, that, that we're going to go, you know, great God, thanks for saving me. I'm going to go live my life. It's not according to our purposes, but he saves us according to his purposes. We're told that those he called, he also justified. We talked about this last week. That God imputes unto us the righteousness of Christ. He justifies us. He establishes us as justified. So, a couple analogies, a couple of pictures of this. The two pictures we would have, one is of a defibrillator. More about that in just a second. And the other is of an IOU. When it comes to the defibrillator being brought back to life, we really can't say it's a defibrillator because a defibrillator takes a heart that's kind of out of rhythm and brings it and then stops it so it could come back in rhythm. And so we may have to think not in terms of a defibrillator, but of Dr. Frankenstein's contraption that takes this dead thing and brings it to life. And when it talks about our calling, we're brought to life. And we talk about the IOU that when Jesus dies on the cross, he pays the cost that we couldn't pay, that there was a debt that we incurred, a debt before God, and on that IOU is stamped paid in full, that we have the very righteousness of Christ given to us. In these continuings, in the story of our transformation, there's a, a word that, 
that, um, would, uh, that's implied in our text, but is made more specific in other texts. And maybe you've heard, it's a churchy word, but it's the word sanctify or sanctification. But we find out in other passages that the idea of sanctification is, is a work of the Spirit. And it's a work that we also participate in. It's a work of the Spirit that God has given uh, His Spirit to work for our sanctification to make us more like Jesus Christ. And that, that the Spirit is working in these days, in this time, in our lifetime, as God calls us and converts us and, and, and regenerates us and justifies us. And then God keeps that work going that we would become more pure like Christ. And in various passages, we're told to take off things that are of this world and to put on things that are of Christ. If those are the continuings, then we find that there's a consummation in this transformation story. There's a day when, when it reached its fullness. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Do you know the, notice the tense of the word? It's past tense like the other words, that whom he justified, he also glorified. A past tense understanding. And some people will talk in terms of this is a prophetic past, that, that, that it's so sure in the future that we can understand in the past that it happened because it's so sure in the future. And yet there's places in the Bible that very much underscore it's happened, that in God's time, in God's story, in your transformation story, that God has already begun your glorification. There's also a present understanding. A present understanding. This is from 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. Do you hear that? Are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. God actively working right now for your glorification, that you'd be going from one level of glory to another level of glory. And there's a future sense. Romans 8, 18, previous in our chapter. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is ours to be revealed to us. This idea of glory. What Jesus is, we will become. What Jesus is has already happened. What Jesus is is being happening right now in our lives. What Jesus is, we will become one day uh, upon his return. There's this commentator by the name of F.F. Bruce, and he puts it this way. Sanctification, by the way, if you're looking for a bunch of churchy words to be shoved together, this is it, right? Sanctification is glory begun. The work of the Spirit to make us like Jesus is glory begun. And glory is sanctification consummated. That we will become like Christ. Since we've been using a lot of old analogies and stories, um, one more. There's a song, there's a folk song um, by a gentleman named Woody Guthrie. The song is, uh, this train is bound for glory. This train is bound for glory. Lyrics include lines like this. This train is bound for glory. Don't carry nothing but the righteous and the holy. You know, in our world, in our culture, we think sometimes, who wants to hang out with righteous and holy people? 
We've been with them before. We find some of them to be the most hypocritical, unfun, law-focused, judgmental people we've ever known. But it, it turns out that in the story of your transformation, your transformation, if you're a follower of Christ, if you, if you have been a follower of Christ, if you're choosing to be a follower of Christ today, if you're going to be a follower of Christ sometime in the future, your story of transformation is that God is already at work declaring, working, and will bring, promises will bring about your sanctification, you becoming holy and righteous. Again, the song says, listen, the train don't carry no gamblers, liars, thieves, big shots, ramblers. This train don't carry no smokers, two-bit liars, small-time jokers. This train don't carry no conmen, no wheeler dealers, here and gone men. This train don't carry no rustlers, side street walkers, two-bit hustlers. The truth is, it does. It just happens to be that they've been transformed by the working of God. This train, if you're a follower of Christ, this train you're on, is bound for glory. That's your story. If you're a follower of Christ, if you've been one, if you're choosing even today to respond to God's love and become a follower of Christ, maybe it's going to happen in some day in the future. This is your story. This is your transformation. It began before the foundation of the world. In every other story of transformation, no matter who tries to sell it to you, no, every other story of transformation will fall drastically short. Two of the more popular other stories is one is the worldly transformation. It essentially goes like this. I will be and do whatever blank says I should be and do. I will be and do. I will become. I, I will be and do what culture says I should be and do. I will be and do what my political party says I should be and do. I will be and do what my parents say I should be and do. I will be and do what my friends say I shall be and do. And that'll fall short. It's not set in the foundations of the world. It does not have the power to bring us to glory. There's also that other uh, transformation story that's called no transformation. Unfortunately, this happens among Christians all too often. It's that real saying, well, I'm okay. <laughs> You're okay. You know how I'm saved, so I'm good. I'm done. No more transformation. I'm just going to go live my life. It falls short. It's not the story that God has for his people. And so let's live our true transformation story. Let's embrace it. Let's immerse ourselves in it. Let's surrender to it. Let's say yes to the God who has been, is, and one day will bring to conclusion our own transformation. As we finish today, let's have a final word from our sponsor. He published this in his book from 1 John 3, verse two, uh, chapter 3, verse 2 through 3. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, when Jesus appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God, even before the creation of the world, that you had set us apart. We confess that there's aspects of that that seem so beyond our understanding that indeed you are God and we are not. And yet there are aspects that we can fully understand, that we can, we can come to terms with, that you are the, the sovereign God at work in our lives, and that there's a transformation story that, that is way more than just our personal perception, that it begins in you, and that you will bring to full completion. God, would you rewrite any wrong narrative inside of us? Would you rewrite, would you delete and take away those narratives that, that define ourselves by what the world says, by what the expectations of our friends are? That, God, we would live according to the transformation story that you have established. We give you praise, God. Even as we say, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. And make all things new. To you be the glory on this day and in all the days to come. In Christ's name, amen.